So, uh, how many of you ever heard somebody say, um, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen? Anybody ever say that? Anybody ever heard somebody say that? Very few of you. You all know this phrase, but you've never heard anybody say it. It's really kind of weird. Um, but, you know, we, we ask this question, why do bad things happen to good people? I ask the question. I, there's times I want to know, why? why? Just, just why? Uh, why do uh, little kids get cancer? Why? Why? They're innocent. Why does that happen? Why do the righteous suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? And I think we all ask this question from time to time. We all want to know, why do bad things happen to seemingly good people? I think one of the things that would change our perspective on that question is if we understood fully that there are no good people. <laughs> We're all pretty rotten to the core if you take an honest assessment of things. I mean, we, can be, we have moments of goodness. But I think the better question to ask is why do good things happen to bad people? That's also a tough question. It's a question of fairness, really. It's a quest question of what is fair and what isn't fair. Because it doesn't seem fair that bad things happen to good people, and it really doesn't seem fair that good things happen to bad people. Well, we're going to talk a little bit today about fairness. We're going to talk about the book of Job, uh, specifically the first two chapters and the last ten verses, or the last seven verses. But we're going to talk about Job today. Uh, and, you know, I think we all have this question about why did what happened to Job, why did that happen to him? And then we turn around and ask ourselves, why do these things happen to us? Uh, let's face it, life doesn't seem fair sometimes. Maybe you're thinking life doesn't seem fair most of the time. You know, that relationship that you thought was going to work out was so great, and then it didn't? What's fair about that? When your loved one passed away after a sudden illness or in a moment, and you had no idea, you didn't even have a chance to say goodbye. How is that fair? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to innocent people? That job that you went to college for and you spent all that money getting that degree for and then to find out that you've been laid off or that your company is moving overseas or you're not going to have a job anymore. You've got to start over. How is that fair? You know, we, we have these questions. We have questions about fairness. We have questions about justice. You know, we watch the news and we hear all these stories about these, you know, innocent people who are suffering, innocent children who are suffering. Especially, you know, when we watch the news here near Chicago and, you know, a young child is shot and killed by a stray bullet. How is that fair? Why do bad things happen to good people and innocent people? That's what we're going to talk about today. Like I said earlier in the service, I've never preached from the book of Job before this weekend. Never done it. It scares me, to be perfectly honest, because there's a lot of questions that are raised in the book of Job. A lot of questions that I have, maybe a lot of questions you have. And I read the book of Job and I think, wow, I mean, seriously. I, think, I look at my life and think about the, the injustices and the unfairness of the things that I've gone through in my life, and I think, I read the book of Job and think, <laughs> I got nothing to complain about. Job was a righteous dude. He was a good man. He was a good person. We'll see that in just a second. And yet he suffered tremendously, spiritually, physically, 
emotionally. He suffered financially. And maybe your story will resonate a little bit with Job's story. So we're going to look at Job chapters 1 and 2, and then the very end of the book, verses 10 through 17 of Job 42. And uh, we're going to take this in several chunks, and there's a whole lot of scripture to read, so I want to get right into it. If you brought a Bible, uh, turn to Job chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 359, and, uh, <clears throat> or you can use your favorite app on your smartphone or tablet. And we're going to talk today uh, about the book of Job, uh, and we're going to talk about how we can praise God even if life falls apart. And that's hard. That's hard to do. To praise God and to honor God and to worship God even if life falls apart. That's what our series is that we're going through right now. It's called Even If. And we're looking at the ways that we can praise, honor, and obey God even if things don't go the way that we think they should. Because sometimes things don't go the way we want them to and things don't go the way we think they should and we really wish things would change and things would be different and yet they're not. So how can we still maintain our faith and honor, worship, and obey God even if life doesn't go the way we want it to? That's what we're going to talk about today is praising God even if life falls apart. We are in Job chapter 1 and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 here at the beginning. It says, in the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Now, it's believed that Job was not a Jew. He was not Jewish. He was not of the Hebrew nation. Uh, this book, the book of Job, was written about the... Uh, it's, they, can, they think it's one of the earliest books of the Bible. Uh, that Job lived about 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. Uh, he was, uh, they think he was a contemporary of Abraham and Isaac and the patriarchs. So this is an ancient book. And Job lived in a place called Uz. And while they're really not sure where that is, they think it was east of the Jordan or east of the people of of Israel, the east of the Jews, uh, and though he was not a Jew, he still worshipped the one true God. And probably living in close proximity to God's people, uh, he had come to faith in the one true God. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. Now, in those days, if, if you were a, a wealthy person, you might have a few servants, you might have 300 sheep. Job is blessed and wealthy and rich. Uh, he is uber wealthy. He is like the Bill Gates of his day. Only he didn't invent Microsoft to make everybody mad. So, uh, verse 4. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them. That's ten. Thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Job is a righteous man. He does the right things. He, is, uh, he honors God. He praises God. He worships God. He sacrifices to God. And this is the, the ultimate good guy. Verse 6. One day... The angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Now, real quick, uh, the, the Hebrew word there for Satan literally means the accuser. He is the accuser. It's about 1,500 years later that this name is actually uh, ascribed to him as Satan. But the, the literal Hebrew word is the accuser. 
verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well. Everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now again, this raises a whole host of questions that we don't have time to answer today. But I want you to see one thing here. I want you to see one thing. It's not Satan who goes, hey, your buddy Job over here, he's a pretty righteous guy, but if you took everything away from him, he would curse you to your face. No, it is God who says, have you seen Job? I hope in my life that I am never uh, the object of God's affection so much that he says to Satan, have you considered my servant Sean? Spare me that, please. Because what happens to Job is awful. But God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, the only reason he worships you is because you blessed him so much. If you took it all away, he'd curse you to your face. And God says, I'll take that bet. I'm going all in on Job. And that's what he does. Now, another thing to notice here is that Satan does not know everything. Satan is not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful. He does not know Job's heart. He does not know Job's thoughts. Because if he did, he would know that Job was a righteous man who would never curse God. So Satan doesn't know everything. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He can't put thoughts in your mind. He can't read your mind. Now, he is, has demons, and they, they're aware of what you are and who you are and, and the sins that you struggle with, and he brings temptation into your life and troubles and, and, and temptation into your life. But... But Satan is not all-powerful. Don't give him more power than he truly has. And I think sometimes we think, well, the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do anything. He doesn't have that much power. Don't give him more credit than he deserves. Verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking... Yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest, oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Job's like, I hope I don't have any more servants out there. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. Did you hear what he said? Did you see what it said? He fell to the ground in what? worship and said naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away may the name of the Lord be praised and all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing Job loses everything he is suffering emotionally and financially 
He's lost his children. He's lost, all he's got left, we find out, are three friends, his wife, and, and four servants, four lucky servants who managed to get away. But he's lost all his camels, all of his livestock. He's lost his children. He's lost just about everything in a matter of moments. And yet he will not curse God. He will not turn his back on God. He praises God instead. Chapter 2. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Uh-oh. There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Now, in those days, they, would have, they didn't have good sewage, and so they, there was a kind of a dung pile outside of the city, and they would burn it from time to time. And that's where Job goes, that's where people went to mourn and grieve. So he goes outside the city, he's sitting among the dung heap uh, and the ashes of the dung heap, and he's scraping himself with pottery. It's not known if he was doing that to relieve the sores that he had or if it was another sign of mourning or grieving. But either way, he is in agony. He is in absolute agony. Verse 9. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good, good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? What kind of perspective is that? Again, you've lost everything you love, everything you care about. Oh, you're financially destitute now. You, your life has fallen apart, and now you're suffering in your body uh, like, like no one has suffered before, and yet you would not curse God. He would not curse God. You know, I look at the life of Jesus. You know, if anyone has claims to unfairness, it's Jesus. Jesus never sinned in any way. He was perfect in every way. And yet, he was beaten and tortured, mocked, spit upon, crucified, nails in his hands and feet. Jesus suffered and died for our sake. Jesus suffered and died for our sins and so that we could have forgiveness and eternal life. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus by believing in him and turning away from sin and repentance, confessing your faith and getting baptized... God will wash away your sins. But if anybody has the claim to that's not fair, it's Jesus. Because he never did anything wrong and he suffered so. He suffered emotionally when his, one of his friends betrayed him and his best friend denied him. He suffered physically when he went to the cross. He, he suffered spiritually when he felt like his father had turned his back on him. Jesus suffered in every way, yet he never should have suffered at all. But he suffered because he loves us. Because he loves us. And, and you know, you look at Jesus and, and then you look at the life of Job and how Job doesn't turn his back on God when his life has fallen apart. And I, I want you to know this. God doesn't prove his love for you by blessing you. He proved his love for you when Jesus died for you. God doesn't prove his love 
for you by blessing you. He proved his love for you when Jesus died for you. Now, we fast forward to the very end of the book. Job 42, 7 through 10, 10 through 17. There's a whole lot of conversation between Job and God. And then we get to 42. It says, after, uh, it says, after Job had prayed for his friends, the ones who had told him to curse God and die, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of, his, of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers, which is a very rare thing. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so he died old and full of years. Now what's amazing about the story is that Job praised God without the promise of restoration. Job praised God without the promise. All Job knows at the end of chapter 2 is that he's lost everything and he's in agony. He has no idea how the story goes. He has no idea what the end of the story is. He has no idea how this is all going to turn out. And what do we see at the very end of the story is that Job is blessed and blessed and blessed even more so than he was before. But Job didn't know that that was going to happen. He didn't have the promise of restoration. All he knew was that God was God and he was not. And so he had to praise God. Now, there's someone uh, I want to introduce to you if you don't know her. Uh, and many of you do. Uh, but many of you don't know our story. And so I want to introduce to you my wife. Uh, and uh, I want her to kind of talk to you a little bit about some things that happened in her life. And so she's going to come up here, and uh, I'm going to sort of interview her. <laughs> but uh, I want to just introduce to you my wife, Shannon. And so, like, if you don't know her, you should get to know this lady. She's amazing. Uh, she lives with me. And, yeah, give her a round of applause. She lives with me and puts up with me uh, in, very graciously. So, um, so uh, if you could... Um, <laughs> You're not crying yet. So we did this last night, and she cried the whole way through, which is totally fine. Um, if you could just kind of describe the events uh, of about a two-year period um, from 2007 to 2009 for our friends this morning. Good morning. Um, about seven months after we moved here, I fell on Christmas Eve, and I injured my back really badly. And um, eventually went through five back surgeries, to end up still in lots of pain and permanently disabled. Um, and then uh, during the time of going through the surgeries and recoveries, um, my mom was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of breast cancer. And in the midst of that, that was, I found that out about a week before surgery number two. And then during that, we also found out our house had been eaten out by terpites and we couldn't live there anymore. We had to rebuild. And financially, we lost my income, which was a pretty good portion of our 
financial um, stability along with my, I brought in the insurance benefits for our family um, because the church didn't have group benefits back then. And so I lost my health, actually my mom, a lot of our finances and our home. And Jonathan was only 16 months old at the time. So it was kind of a really rough stretch there. It was. We got through it. <laughs> Were you ever tempted to give up on your faith? Were you ever tempted to say, you know what, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know that we can do this. Um, something that my mom had said to me um, when I was 26, I had uh, blood clots in my lungs and was in the hospital for an extended amount of time. And my mom came to hang out with me there. And in the midst of it all, she said to me, I can't wait to see what God's going to do with this. And that has really resonated with me and has stayed with me as something that I have always tried to keep in perspective that I, sometimes I get to find out why things happen. And with that case of the blood clots, the, the end result was something amazing. And some of the other things that have happened even during that two-year period were also pretty amazing looking back on it. And I don't always get to know what God's going to do with it. But when I do get to know, it's, it's really awesome. Mm -hmm. And so I've tried to always keep that in perspective when something rough is going on. How are you able to, because you were here every week, just about, except when you're covering from surgeries. Um, how are you able to keep coming and just, you know, keep praising God and, and singing the songs and, and listening to me prattle on? Um, it was hard. It was very hard. Um, there were times where I couldn't sing songs because I couldn't get the words out. So... I, and I love to sing, so it takes a lot to make me stop. Um, there were times I couldn't listen to the message, and so I'd go sit in the library and hope that nobody saw me crying out there. Um, but I kept coming, and um, I had to let uh, other people into my life. I had to let my church family in, and it was really good. Um, it was very hard, because I was pretty stubborn and I always thought I was pretty strong I could get through things and it was hard having to ask for help all the time but my church family was there and my family family was there and I'm so grateful that um, that I had the support that I've had y'all have been pretty amazing what would you say to someone this morning listening to you and they're like man I, I know I, I feel that and my life it feels like it's falling apart right now. What would you say to them to help them this morning? I would say don't give up. Even when things are really, really awful and you're just kind of waiting for the next bad thing to happen. Um, don't give up because God will give you the strength to get through it. Um, as strong as I thought I was, I realized very quickly how strong I wasn't. And God gave me the strength that I needed to be able to get through all the things that happened. And I'm very grateful for that strength and that he gave me because I couldn't have gotten through it on my own. And that strength he gave me came in many different forms. 
including my church family and my family, and just um, holding on to my faith during those hard times. And um, you'll hear people say that um, God will never give us more than we can handle. And I think that that puts the emphasis on our own strength. And it's not what the Bible says. Um, what it does say, though, is that he will always give us the strength to get through the things that happen. And we're not alone. No, we're not. Thanks, babe. So, like I said earlier, one of the things that I want you to know is that, uh, you know, Job praised God without the promise of restoration. Uh, and Job loved and praised God, not because God had blessed. Uh, Job loved and praised God because God is God and not because of what God did for Job. You know, God uh, was still God, and, and Job still praised God, even though uh, his life had fallen apart. And I want you to know, there's coming a day of restoration. We have that promise of restoration. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That there's coming a day when everything will be restored. There's coming a day, and it may not happen in this lifetime, but it will happen. And you can't even imagine what God has planned for you. You can't even imagine, you can't even dream of how great it's going to be when God restores everything to us. So the question I have for you this morning is this, is God enough? Is God enough? Can you say, Lord, if, every, if I lost everything, you would still be enough. If I, lost, if, I, if I lost my job, you'd still be enough. If I lost a loved one, you'd still be enough. If I lost uh, financial stability, uh, you'd still be enough. Is God enough? Because you'll discover that when, when God is all you have, you'll discover that God is all you need. When God is uh, all we have, we'll discover that God is all we need. And I know it sounds trite. Uh, and I know that it's like, well, yeah, I'm sure that would have made Job feel better. But Job never gave up on God. He never gave up, gave up on his faith. And so whatever you're going through today, whatever uh, struggle you're having, uh, whether it's emotionally or, or physically or financially or spiritually, when we when we put our faith and trust in God, we discover that He's never far away and He never gives up on us. So don't give up on Him because when God is all we have, we'll discover that God is really all we need and that He is there with us and we can praise Him even if life is falling apart.